Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Remy Adeleke, who is the author of Transformed, a Navy SEAL's unlikely journey from the throne of Africa to the streets of the Bronx to defying all odds. This is an incredible book. I loved it from beginning to end. Uh, I want to apologize up front for the sound quality. Uh, I tried Zoom and uh, because Skype was giving me problems, but Zoom was doing the same thing. So uh, it's going to sound like he's saying things, and then it, it cuts in and out uh, on his part. But I did my best to edit it and make it coherent as possible. Um, in this episode, you're going to love it as we talk about his book, Transformed, and how it really is a book about transitions. Remy and I, we discuss the four pillars of mental toughness. We talk about should you have a plan B and also the lessons he would love to teach his three sons and that he is teaching his three sons. Uh, We talk about that and so much more. This is really a powerful episode, one that I will listen to a few times over, as I will also listen to this book again. uh, It's a great book, Transformed. Get it wherever books are sold. And with that said, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Because today's episode, the theme really is about transitions. And we start off talking about that and why it's so hard for people to transition. And if you're struggling with a transition, trauma, or tragedy, there's no shame in reaching out for help, for asking for assistance, for finding or recruiting an ally. You know, uh, Lewis House, uh, who has the podcast School of Greatness, and it's like I should not be shouting out another podcast, but he said something that was so powerful that resonates with me. He said, recruit other people into your dreams. Recruit them into your hope. Recruit them into your ideas and vision. And I think that's such a powerful way of phrasing it versus for some people, they have a hard time asking for help. Some of you uh, struggle with uh, displaying your vulnerability. And if you think about recruiting someone into your vision, recruiting someone into your goals, if you just got a divorce, lost your job, or even relocating, go to thrivewithleo.com and together we can get you through that transition. With that said, let's jump into the episode. I want to st- I want to jump around a bit uh, and start off in the middle where you talked about being in the Navy SEALs. The four pillars of mental toughness were visualization, self talk, goal setting, and um, arousal control. Yeah. Can you? I, I've read a little bit about it, but can you go a bit more in depth as to? Uh, what that meant and how they trained you in those different areas? Yeah, so what it means is it's essentially a method to push through whatever you're going through. So um, each pillar, all four pillars make up mental toughness. So what the instructors have found and a lot of people who've come to SEAL training takes four items for a person to build up their mental toughness and to be able to push through situations. I'll go over each one, but not in any particular order. Like there's not one that's like above the other, like to, everybody's different. So I think each pillar means more uh, to, to like, you know, there's certain pillars that mean more to me than the other pillars. Right. Um, so the first pillar of mental toughness is, is, self, is positive self-talk. It's positive self-talk. And it's something that, like, I think that that's something that I've just always done. I just don't realize it. I just didn't know a name to put on it. But it's essentially talking to yourself in a positive way. It's like, I could take another step, or I could keep pushing, or I can make it, or it's not that bad, or, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. You know, like, it's whatever your positive self-talk is. Like, we're always doing, even like when you're working out on a treadmill and it's extremely hard and you're just like, I can get to the five minute mark. Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, I could do it. I could do it. Like we're always doing it. Like we're always either doing positive self-talk or negative self-talk. 
like throughout the day, like each person on the face of this planet does one or the other multiple times in the day. Either you say, oh, I can't do this. All oh, this sucks. Or, oh, like, why did this happen? That's all negative self-talk. Or, oh, this bad thing happened, but I know I, I can get through this. Or, you know what I mean? Like, so that's positive self-talk is, to me, is the most important pillar of, of, of mental toughness. Um, but it may not, that might not be the most important pillar to somebody else. And then the next one is, is goal setting. Um, this is, to me, personally, the, most, the second most important pillar of mental toughness. Um, goal setting is essentially, you know, it's what it is, it's setting goals, but it's not setting, it's not setting one major goal. Like where a lot of people fail in life, especially in SEAL training, is they set one big goal, right? Like I want to make it through SEAL training. That's a massive goal, right? Um, or I want to be a famous actor. That's a massive goal. I want to be filling a blank. That's a massive goal. And one thing they teach us in SEAL training is the importance of incremental goals, Right. So setting incremental goals. Uh, we have a saying in the SEAL team, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Right. Um, in Hell Week, Hell Week is the, considered the hardest part of SEAL training. They keep you up for six days straight. starts on Sunday, ends on Friday. They throw absolutely everything at you. I mean, everything. Uh, extreme colds, uh, surf torture, lots. I mean, it's torture. Like, literally, it's just torture. And the first like 20, 30 minutes of Hell Week are the worst. And the instructors make it horrible because they want you to believe that you you have to go through this for the next six days, but they want you to feel the pressure of what it's going to be like to go through this for six days. So they'll say, this is just the first hour or this is just the first 30 minutes and you guys have six more days of this, Right. So by them saying that, they're playing a mental game. By them saying that, what they're trying to get you to do is focus on that ultimate goal Friday. So when they say, you got six days and this is just the first 30 minutes, the guys who think to themselves, damn, like, this is just the first 30 minutes and this is horrible. I got six more days of this. Those guys quit. Versus the guys who don't, who don't fall into the trap that the instructors are setting and the guys who say, yeah, I know this is six days, but my goal is to get through the next 30 minutes. Or my goal is to get through the next hour. For me, like for some guys, their goal is to get to the next meal because they feel they, they uh, feed you a breakfast, lunch, dinner, and mid-rats at midnight during hell week. So you get fed four times. So for some guys, their goal is let me just get to the next meal. For me, it was like, let me just get to the next evolution, right? That's breaking it up. That's an incremental goal. And why is that important? Is because when I get, like if I was insert torture, laying in the water that was freezing cold and I would take, let me just get to the next evolution. And if the next evolution was log PT and I got to log PT, then it boosts my confidence. Why? Because I set this goal and I achieved that goal. So then I set the next goal. I set the next goal. If I'm doing log PT, then let me get to boats on heads. I set the next goal, boats on heads. I get to boats on heads. Boom, my confidence. I just passed two. I just, I just um, achieved two goals. That means the world to me. Right. Then my next goal may be I just want to get to mid rats, which is midnight dinner. Boom, I got to mid. So now as you achieve these goals, you're boosting your confidence and you're boosting your motivation. Right. Uh, because you're accomplishing something. Anytime somebody is able to, to to visibly accomplish something like if they're smart, they'll be they'll use that accomplishment to push them forward. Right. And so that's goal setting. That's that's an important pillar of mental toughness. Again, is setting those incremental goals. And I do it every day in my life now, you know, with, with writing, you know, uh, and in business. It's like, OK, if I'm in a business, let me get to this part of the business deal. Let me let me get to the point where we're I, let's not close the deal, but let's get to the point where we're having the first meeting uh, about whether somebody's going to buy this project. And then when I have the first meeting and the meeting goes well, okay, let me, my goal is to get to the second meeting where they, they're going to make the ultimate decision to buy this project. Boom. Get to the second. Boom. My confidence is increased. Then, okay, they're going to do this project. Let me get to the point where my agent and my lawyer is, is, um, is, is, is putting together the contracts. Boom. Right? So essentially, that's all goal set. Right? And you can apply it to any aspect of life. Um, the next one is is visualization, um, and you know visualization is can go hand in hand with goal setting because essentially what you're doing is you're visualizing uh, achieving that goal, 
And uh, and what that does is it tricks your mind to believe that you've you've already achieved it. Case in point, we see visualization all the time um, when we watch a basketball game. Anytime you watch a basketball game, you're seeing visualization being carried out. Why? When a player goes to the free throw line, you know, and you see them before they take the shot, they you know they're free throw line and they they're doing this before they even get the ball. They're doing this. They're visualizing themselves getting the, the ball in the hoop, right? And then, you know, and then they get the ball and then they take that shot. What does that do? That tricks your mind into believing that you've already done it so that when you go do it, you have more confidence in doing it, right? We do visualization every single day. We just don't realize that we're visualizing, you know, I'm going to go to the gym. Like when I do, when I'm doing pull-ups or, or whatever I'm doing, you know, it's like, I'm, like if I'm at one, I'm visualizing getting to 10. And when I'm at 10, I'm visualizing getting to 20. It's like in my mind, if I set a number in my mind, like I get to that number. I visualize and get to, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's visualizing that achieving those goals. And obviously arousal control is the last one. And all arousal control is, is a, a way of calming yourself down. Um, for everybody's different. Um, uh, for me, you know, as a person of faith, especially as, as it relates to what you touched on earlier, transitioning, transitioning can be very hard. What helps me control my arousal is prayer, like prayer. Like when I pray and I'm like, and, and I release it to God, like that for me helps control my arousal, helps calm me down and it helps give me peace. You know, when, when, you know, when I read the Bible, there's certain things that help, it helps calm me down and gives me peace. Arousal control, some people, for some people, is listening to music, right? You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, maybe drinking water or it's a mantra. Like, everybody has different, different modes of arousal control, different things they do to control their arousal. And, and it's important that you find that thing because when, you need it to work in sync with goal setting, right? Because if you can control your arousal, then you can set realistic goals. And then as you achieve those goals, then again, like you get that confidence, but then that arousal rises and then you, you, you're able to keep that intact. Same thing with, with, with positive self-talk. If you're calm and your arousal control is calm, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to say positive things to yourself. This is going to be all right. This is going to work out. Why? Because you're calm versus freaking out and not having some type of arousal control. You're going to have negative self-talk. Oh my God, this is bad. This is falling apart. This is good. Because you're not controlling your arousal. So you see like all four pillars, they all work together. Uh, and, and, and when you, when you, when you operate within all four, that is the essence of mental toughness. Man, I really appreciate you you sharing all that. And I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper on some of those uh, with the uh, the visualization. Um, I, you know, I played college football and every night before a game, I would visualize the game. It was something I was just naturally doing. Yeah. And it definitely I felt like it affected my performance in a positive way. And you could literally feel yourself. It felt like you got to a point where you felt like you were in the game. Yeah, so then yeah, by the yeah. time you got to the game, it's like, I already played this yesterday. Exactly. And, and this is practice. This is, this is rehearsal right here. Exactly. Um, and one of the things I love that you said in terms of uh, goal setting um, about like, it's not about becoming a Navy SEAL or about uh, doing the big thing. It's about just trying to get to that next step. It's like, yeah. it's like climbing a bill. I'm just trying to get from two to three, three to four. Yeah. Um, there was a, I had a neuroscientist on Andrew Huberman mm -hmm. and he talked about uh, duration path outcome okay. um, because he, he also, he's a neuroscientist, but he also works with uh, Navy SEALs and other uh, mm -hmm. servicemen. And he said that one of the things that helps us control for our arousal states is giving our sense of self of how long is this going to take? How do I get there? And what is the outcome? So sometimes you have to create that for yourself versus yeah. letting somebody else dictate your duration path outcome uh, to mentally uh, psych you out. So like you said, for you, it was about getting to the next uh, evolution. Yeah. And for some people, it's like getting to the next meal, yeah. right? Uh, wh whatever, whatever gets you out of bed, whatever carrot you want to use, but, but create yeah. your own carrot is yeah. what that sounds like. 100%, 100%. Uh, but at the same time, too, 
you know, I was, I've been having, I was having a conversation with a guy a couple of weeks ago and it was around the topic of, and I came up with this term, it was around the topic of creating our own mental burdens, right? And what do I mean by that? I mean, like, as you said, like, it's important to try and control the time, right? Like, all right, you know, if the goal is to, you know, um, just try to think of an example, to finish college, right? Uh, like, and you, and, 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 the, and the overall goal is four years, but obviously you're breaking it up into, in, in, into a year, but something happens and you have to do an extra year, you know, you gotta have room, you have to have room for contingencies, right? Because so often in life, I think where people get tripped up is they create this idea, it's good to plan, right? It's, it, it's good to plan, it's good to have those goals, but if you set a goal and your goal is by October of 2020, I'm gonna have this, and positive self-talk, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, I'm gonna have it by this. But then October 2020 comes and you didn't reach that goal. What I have seen happen to people, including myself, is they shut down or they get depressed and they're just like, I said this was gonna happen by this time, it didn't happen. My life is a mess, it's over, it's never gonna happen, blah, 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 blah. But what we have to do is we need to be willing to, 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 to give room. We have to, in the SEAL teams, we train, we, we, we train primary, secondary, right? We always have contingencies, right? So what that means is if, if plan A doesn't work out, if it, it didn't happen by October 2020th, by October 2020, it's not the end of the world. We're just going to flex to our backup plan, our contingency, right? Uh, again, so often we create our own mental burdens by swearing up and down that something is going to happen by a specific time. And then when it doesn't happen, now we have this burden that we created instead of being flexible in the creation of our term. That, does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and the reason why it makes, uh, it makes sense is because so much of people who, who uh, give these motivational speeches or, uh, you know, try to get people all, all riled up. They talk about, uh, I don't need a plan B. It's like, uh, we have my, my plan B is plan A. And, and so it is a relief to hear you say that the Navy SEALs uh, always have a plan B, always have a contingency, always have a secondary. And I liken it to everything for me goes back to football. And even though I, I wasn't a quarterback, I, I played D-line, goes back to a quarterback has his progressions. He has his first uh, primary receiver, yeah. and then he clicks through to a second, third, fourth. And, and so uh, why wouldn't you have that in life? Uh, uh, and so that's a contingency right there. See, you yeah. know what? We didn't plan for the phone to ring, but it, it rang yeah. and we just going to keep yeah. going through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I meditated this morning. Nothing yeah. distracts me. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the idea of having a primary and secondary, I think, is great because a lot of people who do c- contemplate uh, ending their life are perfectionists. And, yes. they, and they think that if they don't get the thing that they set out to do, if they don't get that A, if they don't get the grade, if they don't get the job, if they don't get all the things that they had planned or put on their vision board, that life is over. Yeah. And it's okay to fall back to your contingency or your plan B, but yeah. have that in place. You know what? I, I agree with you. I agree with you, but I don't agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I no, want that. So no, no, <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm serious. No, no disrespect. I don't mean that in a disrespectful no, way. I know, I know, right? I know. I agree with you 100%. The way I don't agree, and maybe, maybe we, we, maybe we, we do agree. We're just, we're just comparing apples and oranges. But I think I don't believe in Plan Bs when it when it relates to that ultimate goal if that makes sense because just to use the seal training as an example but the guys who don't make it in my opinion are guy well i'll just back up the guys who don't make it are guys who don't have a deep-rooted emotional reason as to why they want to do something 
first and foremost. So the guy who's like, hey, you know, I want to be a Navy SEAL because I want girls. I want to travel the world. Or I want to shoot cool guns. Or I want people to like me, right? That's a superficial reason as to why they want to do it, right? And for me, I had a deep-rooted emotional reason as to why I wanted to make it through SEAL training. And that was my deep-rooted emotional reason why was I have nothing left. I have failed at everything at life and I have nothing left, right? So that carried me through. Um, whereas the guy who had this superficial reason, as soon as they got in that cold water or things got bad, that, that good idea quickly turned into a bad idea. Another trend that I would see with who said, as things were getting bad, if I don't make it, I'll do this. I'll go EOD or I'll go into regular Navy or I'll go into the army and try to go to army special forces, right? Because things are in SEAL training, things are going to get bad. And when things get bad, that plan B is going to start looking really, really good, you know, because then you're going to start coming up with reasons and saying, you know what, like army special forces they are as good as seals anyway and they, they're training something like this and you're gonna start coming up with good reasons as to why plan b is better and even in my life now as a writer i don't like plan b's like when i was writing my book i wrote my book right there Ben. i wrote my book by myself no co-writer no ghostwriter and my publisher tried to push a plan b on me Hey, like, you know, hire a ghostwriter if things don't work out, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't want to hear it because it's hard to write a book. It's like, it's, it's hard. It's hard. You got to think about story structure. You got to think about story art. You got to think about other characters. It's a long process. It's hours of work. And the, the harder it gets, the easier, if you have a plan B, it can become to go to that plan B. So if with everything I do in life now, I personally don't believe in plan Bs when it comes to that overall goal, right? That, that elephant. If the goal is the elephant, I'm going to eat it one bite at a time and I'm going to plan for contingencies in case those small goals along the way, you know, you, know, you know, like my story, you know, I got to Hell Week, I almost died in Hell Week. I had pneumonia, siphon, rabbit the first time I went through Hell Week. All right, boom. What's the contingency plan? All right, the contingency isn't to quit. The contingency is, all right, let's start back from day one and begin to eat the elephant to work our way back up to that goal of Hell Week and then get through Hell Week, right? So, or, right, or the, the alternative could have been like, oh my God, like I made it to Hell Week and I, I almost died and now I got to start day one all over again. I don't want to do this all over again. Like, I don't want to blah, blah, blah. Like, right? Like, I had the contingency already in my mind that if this doesn't work out along this path, I'm going to go, I'm going to just start all over, right? So it's important to have contingencies for those incremental goals, in my opinion. But when it comes to that overall goal, in my opinion, you can't have a plan B, you know, because, and I, and I see this so much, athletes and Olympians um, on, you know, Navy SEAL principles that translate into sports. And, you know, it's the interesting thing is I work with a rugby team. I've worked with the same rugby team since 2014, 2015. And I went and I worked with them again last October, October of last year. And I, I have totally seen a difference in this. I don't know what the J, G, X, Y, Z generation, whatever it is, but these kids I worked with last year and the kids the, uh, I worked with back in 2014-2015, completely different group of people, right? And why I say that is I found with this new generation that I went to go train of rugby players, as soon as things got hard, it was so much easier for them to say, oh, I don't have to do this training with Remy. Oh, you know, I'm going to go to my dorm or all oh, like blah, 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 blah. It was easy for them to quit. Right. And I, and I find it with so many kids I mentor or talk to where when things get hard, it's just like, well, I'll do something else. 
you know, like, you know, a, a friend of mine, you know, he, he, you know, he had an idea. He wanted to, he, he wanted to write this movie. Right. And he's writing and it got hard. And then he was just like, oh man, you know what? I'm going to write it as a book. So then he started writing it as a book and it's just like, oh no, it got hard. So then it's just like, well, I'm going to write it as a treatment. Then write it as a treatment. He's just like, and I told him, I said, listen, bro, I said, you need to cut out all these plan B's, stick to the plan A, finish it. I don't care if it sucks. I told him, I don't care if the script sucks. I don't care if the, whatever you focus, decide on, I don't care if it's bad. Just get it done. Because once you get it done, you have accomplished it and you will have confidence now in having finished it. But if you keep on jumping from this is hard, so I'm going to do it this way, and this is hard, I'm going to do it this way, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going around and around in circles. And so my big thing is, again, the reason why I said I agree with you, but don't disagree with you. I agree with you in the sense that when it comes to those incremental goals, yes, have those plan Bs in place, have those contingencies that are going to still get you to that ultimate goal. But when it relates to that ultimate goal that you have dropped your entire life to go pursue, then you need to pursue that. Does that make sense? I love that. Yeah, because what you're talking about is what's the what's the big picture? What do you value? There's no plan B for the big picture. There's no plan B if if you want to go uh, to the NFL or you want to yeah. become a Navy SEAL or even if you want to get married. If you want to yeah. marry her, marry her. There's there's yeah. no there's no there's no. But the the plan B, the contingencies are for. Listen, I might propose. She might say no. Maybe the yeah. ring doesn't fit. Maybe the uh, her her dad doesn't approve. Like planning for those contingencies and then. How do I, I wrap around right. that? Or, you know, like, I, I see what you're saying. The, yeah. the, the plan B or the contingencies are for the small, uh, is, for the, is for the strategy, not for the outcome. Exactly. Basically is what that, what that sounds like. Exactly. And, yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because I'm, I'm always harping against uh, all or nothing type of thinking of like, never have this or always do that. Yeah. But what you're saying makes sense, absolutely. So I, I really yeah. appreciate that. It's a to me, it's a motivational factor. You know what I mean? Like the, you mentioned the NFL. It's like if you are if you are so if you have no plan B and that's your focus, am I saying that you're going to make the NFL? No, you may not make the NFL, but at least you're going to put 110 percent into attaining that goal. Versus if you have a plan B in mind, then it's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to put maybe 95 or 80% into it because if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to do this. Yeah. Right. And then because also what we get so caught up in the achievement of something yeah. that we uh, diminish the value of what we learn and who we become on our way to yeah. Yeah. Uh, striving for something. So even if you don't make it to the NFL or, or yeah. whatever, the lessons that you learn, the, the connections that you make, all that could lead to something else. And, and there's 100%. nothing wrong with that. 100%. Uh, I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, not despising small beginnings. I'm a big believer in everything you do now, no matter how menial it may seem to you, is preparing you for your next assignment or your, your greater assignment. Case in point, um, me as a writer now, my, when I was a kid, my mother would make my brother and I read the New York Times, find articles, and then write reports. And the reports had to be near perfect or she would make us start all over again with another article, right? And I hated that. I hated my mom. I was just like, this is dumb. This is stupid. Why are you doing this? However, she wanted me, and I didn't understand this because I remember I was a kid, but she was trying to get me to focus and follow through on that because if I could focus and follow through on writing a report, then I would, one, be able to focus and follow through on other things moving forward. But two, she was, unbeknownst to her, preparing me for a career as a writer, right? So all of that stuff that, yeah, I didn't get paid to write those reports, but now I'm getting paid to write books and movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, I was on a podcast uh, two weeks ago with Darren Woodson. He played for the uh, Cowboys and a few other NFL players. And, you know, we were talking about how there's so many, especially, you know, when you play at a college and professional level that can translate into business. 
right? When you really pay attention. And we were talking about how, you know, football players can go into certain corporate uh, uh, environments and people will listen to them because of the fact that they were a football player and they're, and they can use analogies from football in that corporate environment that can help as it relates to recruiting and business, um, business plans, marketing, PR, leadership, team building, all of that stuff, because there's so many things in sports, in my opinion, that translates just like the military that translates into business. So there's so many things that athlete, going back to the example of the NFL player, you know, whose goal is to be in the NFL and maybe that doesn't happen, but guess what? By him striving towards that ultimate goal and striving towards it in, 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 in excellence, right? Like, you know, and they're doing it with excellence. Why? Because they have no plan B, so they're doing it with excellence. And by striving towards that goal and excellence, they're acquiring all of these lessons and building these relationships and obtaining these skill sets that now they can use in a corporate environment and make as much, if not more money, you know, in the business world than they would have made in the NFL, right? And so don't despise small beginnings because all of this stuff translates. And what I love about that is it ties into to what we talked about in the beginning in terms of as you're acquiring in these skills and doing things with excellence, it makes transitions easier for you. You yeah. know, if you've had a career and all of a sudden gets wiped out because of the pandemic or mm-hmm. there are layoffs or, or whatever happens in, in the world, uh, you've, you've proven yourself to be a person of value. Yeah. And so when you're a person of value, then it makes it easier for you to, to switch careers, to, to pick up and go, you know, anywhere in the world and, 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 and kind of not, not necessarily start over, but to, to branch off into, into something else as you've gone from the military into acting, into writing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, and that leads me to my next question that, uh, you know, we, start, we talked about the four pillars of mental toughness, and that mm-hmm. came from the Navy SEALs. Uh, and then you also talked about your faith. But to get to the Navy SEALs uh, required mental toughness also. Yeah. So where did it come from before the military, before your faith? Um, it came from just my hard upbringing, you know what I mean? Like growing up in the Bronx and, uh, you know, being beat up, <laughs> being robbed on me, you know, that's what the term we used, joking on each other. And I grew up in this very harsh, hard environment, you know what I mean? And when you grow up in, an, in a hard environment, it just, it prepares you, man. I mean, it prepared me so much for SEAL training. Um, and then my mother, you know, my mother is the epitome of mental toughness. Um, when my dad died, she, she was, you know, my mother was, we were wealthy before my father died. We were rich. Uh, my mother went from being rich to being poor. Um, you know, 30 years old, let's see, 30 she was 35, a widow, um, and she put in the work, man. She would work multiple jobs um, to provide for my brother and I. There were times where she only had enough food to feed my brother and I, not herself. She was all about education, and she would, you know, like I told you earlier, if the reports weren't near perfect, she would make us do them, do them again. Um, she would, me and my brother, every other, every night, we would alternate. One night I would wash the dishes, my brother would dry the dishes, and then we would flip-flop. And my mother would expect it all afterwards. And again, if the dishes weren't perfect, perfectly washed and perfectly dried, she would make us do it all over again. You know, my mother's big into fitness. She's always, from the time I was a kid, she was running the stairs. We lived in a 17-floor uh, building. She run the stairs for workouts. And so my mother is the pity, you know, so in essence, I had a living example of mental toughness in my in my in front of me every day of my life. So between between seeing an example, like not somebody's just saying be mentally tough, do the work, blah, 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 but seeing somebody say it, but actually do it themselves, you know, it just became second nature to me. You know, through osmosis, it became a part of my character. 
And then, you know, you add on top of that, the environment we grew up in, all of that stuff, you know, really prepared me for, you know, to go into SEAL training, you know? I, I love that, man. It, but what's so fascinating is that there's so many men, especially black men, mm-hmm. grow up with a mentally strong mom in the mm-hmm. Bronx or in the inner city. I'm from Chicago. Yeah. And... But like we both kind of grew up without like my dad was alive, but he really wasn't in my life. Yeah. And like you said, your mom was a widow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that not having a father figure around or mm-hmm. a male mentor around derails so many young men and women, obviously. Um, what what was the difference there? Your mom is there. You're mm-hmm. in a tough neighborhood. What what would you attribute the third thing to? And and can you tell us, give us the backstory on why your 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 mom was a widow? Um, first part of the question I missed. What was the you said? What uh, would I attribute to the 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 mental toughness? In that there's so many inner city kids who yeah. grew up with a tough mom, and um, uh, uh, I forgot the second thing you said. Oh, uh, in an inner city, right? Yeah. You, you grew up in a, in a Tough streets. I, I got beat up. Yeah. Uh, you know, dad wasn't around. Yeah. But a lot of those young men end up in jail and shot. As yeah. you talk about in your book, you know, guys yeah. are running scams and you saw the writing on the wall was like, if yeah. I keep going this direction, it's a wrap, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I wonder if there's, if there, have you identified a third piece to why you made it out and what the difference was? Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say, it's a combination of it's a combination of my father's foresight uh, genetically interwoven within who I am. My dad was a visionary. He had the ability to see, and I don't even want to use the word prophetic. I want to call it prophetic. I would just there's just people who see the writing on the wall. They they see way above what everybody else is seeing. You know, we talk about athletic grace, like. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, right? And how they're just able to see, like, they see what other, it's like a matrix, right? They see what other people can't see. That makes sense. And that was my dad. Like, my dad, you know, he, he, in the 1970s, he bought a massive plot of land in Nigeria called Mariko. And the Nigerian government, he spent 8 million pounds for it, which is probably at the time, maybe 14, 15 million dollars, uh, maybe 20 million. Um, and the Nigerian government stripped it from him after he had paid for it, the uh, uh, federal government. And he went to court and fought the court case for like a decade. And then finally, the, uh, the federal government came back to him and said, hey, you can't have Marigold back. What do you want? Do you want your money back? And my father being a visionary said, no, I don't want the money back. I want the lagoon. What he was referring to was there was a lagoon that was off the, off the coast of Nigeria, off the coast of Lagos. This Lagos is made up of a lot of islands and it was a lagoon off of the coast of one of the Lagos islands. And my dad wanted the lagoon and they laughed at him. They said, you're stupid. What are you going to do? What a, what water? You can't do anything with it. But my father being a visionary was like, okay, I'm an engineer. I'm connected to so many engineers across the world. What if I hire Dutch engineers? We dredge the foreshore and create an island. Because if we create something where there was never nothing, then nobody could ever come back and say that land belongs to us, right? And so my dad was a visionary in a sense, right? And I think that has been intertwined within my DNA, this ability to look at a situation and say, okay, I see this happening. Let me look up beyond that and look at some other options and choose those other options. Um, I, how I got into the film and TV industry, and I'll use this as an example before I jump back. When I got into the film and TV industry, I got into it as a consultant slash actor on Transformers. I worked on that project. But while I was working on that project, I was paying attention to everybody. I was just paying attention to Mark Wahlberg and Anthony Hopkins and all these famous actors. I was paying attention to the producers, the director, 
um, um, executive producers, just all of these people behind the scenes that are calling the shots, that are real decision makers, that are real people crafting stories. And then because of Transformers, I got invited to work on some other projects with big people like Peter Berg and, you know, and, and, and just other massive producers. And, and I would just watch them. And as I began to watch them and see things going behind the scenes, I began to say, okay, I'm 34 years old. There's no way I'm going to make a career as an actor. But I see this other space where I could be a producer. You know, I have all these stories in my head, all these ideas. I can write. I can create. Why relegate myself just to this option of being an actor when there's so much, when I'm seeing what these people are doing behind the scenes and I know I could do that. And that's when I would say, okay, I'm going to look beyond that and I'm going to start teaching myself how to write films and teaching myself how to produce and teaching myself how to do all of these things. Whereas the other people I was working with was just like, I'm going to try and be an actor. I like this, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm in a position now where I was, before my call with you, literally right before, right after I hung up the phone, I got on Coley, but I was on the phone with a producer who wants me to co-produce a movie with him, you know, that's going to be, a, you know, probably a 30, $40 million movie. And he wants me to come on as a producer. And, you know, and then I have my agent, my phone rang. That's, that was my agent who was calling me because there's other people that want me to do stuff on the behind the scenes, writing, producing, and shaping stories, which is where the real money and control is, right? So I've always had this ability to, and I get it from my phone. And so that third factor, to circle back to your question, was that, you know, my mother, the environment, but it was this ability to see, okay, if I stay in this environment, continue to do what I'm doing, I'm going to end up dead or in prison. But if I leave this place and change my mindset and get out of this, oh, I can only be an athlete or a drug dealer, or I can only do all this legal stuff, there's nothing out there in the world for me but this. If I can break that mindset, then there may be some other opportunities on the horizon. I don't know what those opportunities may be, but there is definitely something better out there than what I'm, my current state is. So that, to me, was the third factor. Yeah, you know, and as you're saying that, to me, what I also hear is humility, because yeah. I could easily hear somebody going, I could do this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was a Navy SEAL. I could do whatever. I, I could be an actor. I could be I could be the next Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. But, you know, but, but like you said, you were able to see uh, beyond that. I appreciate you uh, sharing that, that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you have three sons mm-hmm. and given the current political climate, I don't want, I'm not trying to get political. Yeah. What are the uh, lessons or values or pillars that you are intentionally trying to instill in your three sons? Yeah. Well, one, my oldest son is six, right? So there's, there's only but so much I can explain to him. And, you know, my next one is five and then my next one is a year and a half, right? So there's only but so much I can share. Where I start now is I can't. Like, that's, 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 the, that's, the, biggest, that's the biggest lesson that I try to instill in them now is this word, I can't, doesn't exist in your vocabulary. Right. Um, Especially I can't because. Right. And so as a father, especially a black father, three black boys, um, the first thing that I want to control and I want to I want to kind of root out of their mindset is this this I can't attitude. Right. So I tell them all the time, I say when they say I can't, I say, remember, you can't say that, but you can say it's hard. You can say it's hard. Because the reality is life is hard. Things in life are hard. Um, You can say it's hard and then we can work together to figure out how to get around that hard thing. But you can't say I can't. Obviously, as they get older, then I'll begin to gradually instill other lessons within them. Um, I say, you know, the other thing I try to teach and and I say try because, you know, again, they're so young and it's so hard for young kids to grasp things is... Is, is living by example, right? So what do I mean by that? 
I, everything I try to teach them, I, like my mother, I don't try to teach them verbally. I try to teach them through my actions. You know what I mean? Like the big one is keep your word. Right. And so I tell my kids all the time, Hey, you got to keep your word. If you say you're going to turn on, we're going to, if I say, if I say we're going to turn off the TV at five o'clock and I say, Hey, if I turn off, I'll let you watch this next episode of TV. You're not going to whine when we turn it off. Right. And they say, yes, daddy. I was like, all right, you got to keep your word. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and if they whine, I say, Hey, you got to keep your word. But how do I teach that? I teach that by keeping my word. And it gets me in trouble with my wife a lot <laughs> because, you know, my wife, for example, my kids before COVID hit, they would see a trailer for a movie like Spider-Man or one of those Avengers movies, whatever. And they would say, I don't want to watch that movie. Daddy, daddy, can I go watch that movie? And I would say, yeah, we can go watch that movie. It's cool. I think it's cool to watch a superhero movie. And my, and, and my wife would come home and my kids would run to her and say, hey, daddy said we could go watch Spider-Man or whatever. And my wife would immediately go to the trailer and if she sees anything of violence or anything like that, she's like, no, they can't see you. Why are you telling me they can see? They can't see it, blah, 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 blah. But my kids are looking at me like, daddy, you said we can see it. And so I get in trouble with my wife because I, I take them to go see it. And my wife would be like, why did you do that? I was like, because I gave them my word. I told them I would do something. And I think the most important thing we could teach our kids, especially as black fathers, is one, keep your word. Two, live by example. You know what I mean? And, and, and three, I can't, does it exist? And all of those things, in my opinion, are going to build to other more important, more deep lessons as it relates to race in this country, as it relates to racial injustice. You know, everything connects. And so I think that if there's, you know, some principles that may not fully connect, to racial injustice or what it means to be a black person in this country right now, because I'm teaching them these small little incremental lessons. I think it'll, those other lessons will make more sense as they get older. That makes sense. Yo, the whole, I can't versus it's hard. Yeah. That, that really resonates because, uh, I, I think that what makes it hard for a lot of people to say, I, uh, it's hard is because, uh, it, it kind of denotes defeat. Yeah. Um, whereas I can't means like nobody can do this. This is impossible. Yeah. And yeah. so they're just like, so it gives them an excuse. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm just I'm realizing this for myself. Like I don't I don't say I I it's hard. I just go I can't. And uh, and I'm, I'm a, I wrote that down. I'm like yeah, it's hard. And I, I don't admit that or it's challenging or it's difficult or uh, it, this is mm-hmm. uh, it just feels a bit overwhelming. But yeah. w- what's interesting is the the science, the research, the literature shows that when we can identify the emotion that we're going through, mm-hmm. it makes what we're going through more bearable. Yeah. And so people who are, are there's so many people out there uh, trying to be all stoic and act like and uh, issue like emotions. It's actually being able to identify and express your emotions makes you tougher. Exactly. Uh, and it, it's, it's so true. Yeah. No, I wrote his funny dude. I don't want to give away too much, but I wrote a movie uh, about the first group of African-Americans to serve the special forces. I won't give the exact line that I say, but I say something along those lines that, you know, it's, it's more like it takes more strength for you to bear your weaknesses and for you to admit you need help like than it does for you to walk around like this tough guy, like, no, I'm good. I got to see it. Like that's weakness to me. Like to me, Weaknesses, yeah, I'm a tough guy, I got it all together, you know, I'm good, this and that and this, when deep down inside you're hurting, you need help, you're crying yourself asleep at night, right? It takes more strength to go to somebody and bear your soul to them and be like, I'm hurting, I need help, like I'm struggling, and, and do it in tears. That takes way more strength than it does to be like, yeah, I'm good, like I'm a tough guy, you know what I mean? That's weakness to me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because what because what you're really uh, saying, if if you can't show weakness, is that um, you don't think that you could recover from exposing yourself. You yeah. don't think that you could, and you don't think that you deserve help, yeah. right? For for whatever you're going through. So it, it by you know walking around all strong, 
Uh, you, you, and also, who's going to ally with you? Who, who's who's going to want to work with you if it's, it looks like you got it all? Yeah. And then you go, well, ain't nobody have my back. It was like, well, it looked like you had it all together. So, exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and then you had nobody to call. So, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right with the vulnerability. Um, the two things I want to unpack, I want to go a little bit back to uh, taking the kids to see the movies. Yeah. Um, and this is what I do with my girl. We don't, uh, you know, we don't have kids. But when we watch a movie, um, and, like she, she loves the Americans. It's, that's a hard movie for me to watch uh, for a number of reasons. But with kids, it's not what they see that I found that impacts them. It's uh, how they're interpreting what they see. And it's, it's an opportunity for you to have a discussion. I know you said uh, six, five, and, and one, and one and a half or something yeah, like that. But it's an opportunity to talk about life. Because yeah. when they go see a movie, if there's one thing that kids have, it's questions. Oh and they want to know why this, how that, <laughs> yeah. who this, and what would you do, and why did they? And it's, it's an it's a opportunity to teach them other life lessons that exactly. you may not have thought that they were ready for, but they just 100%. saw it in a movie. 100%. No, 100%. My kids, especially my middle, man, that dude is, that dude is 50 cent, 21 questions, man. And the thing is, the crazy thing about it is that when he, if you answer one question, that one question is only the 30 more questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? And no, you're, you're spot on. Like when we watch movies, like, they, oh, so who's the bad guy? Why is he the bad guy? Like, why is that guy doing this? Why is this doing that? You know, and, and it does open up. And that's what I love about story is it, it really does, you know, open up conversations and we're able to use what we see on the screen as an example, as examples to make things easily palatable to the kids, right? Like to break things down in a, a way that they understand. Um, so yeah, no, I, 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 I use it all the time. You know what I mean? Like even with, with uh, Chadwick Boseman's uh, recent passing, you know, which has been extremely hard. You know, my kids love that movie, Black Panther. And so like to them, they're like, Black Panther died. Like, it's not Chadwick Boseman died. It's Black Panther. So every time they see Chadwick Boseman on the news or possibly on the screen or, like, Memorial Day, they're like, oh, Black Panther, Black Panther. You know, he, you know, he died, he died. You know what I mean? And so, and they, they started asking me questions about cancer. You know, like, Dad, like, what's, what's cancer? And it's like, it's an illness. And they say, and it's, they said, is it like coronavirus? And I said, because, you know, like, that's the thing. they say, why can't we go do this? Why can't we go do that? I said, you know, coronavirus. It's like, it's like coronavirus. I'm like, no, it's, it, but again, these questions wouldn't be asked if they didn't see the movie and identify with the character, right? So they're like, is coronavirus, is cancer, how do you get cancer? Like, so they're asking these high-level questions that they wouldn't even think to ask, but it's because they identify with and they connect to the character of Black Panther, who's an actual person. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, it. I, I can't even imagine uh, raising one kid versus three, and then now having to explain to them how Black, Black. Panther died. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, hats off to you, brother. Yeah. The you know going being a Navy SEAL, being in the military, having served, and you, you come back and and. You are, by all accounts, thriving, married, uh, b- built another career. So many military servicemen come back, PTSD, can't cope, mm. uh, yep. drug and alcohol abuse, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Did you at any point have to go? I, I know in the book you talk about, I want to say his name is Marco, who taught you how to meditate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, um uh, pop. uh, H2 Roscoe, Roscoe, Roscoe. Yeah. The, um, I, I want to ask what from that experience with Roscoe do you still take with you to this day? Cause you talked about meditation and enlightenment, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then did you have to go through therapy at any point to cope or deal with your time in there or transitioning out? Well, yeah, you know, interestingly, I'm, I'm working on a project now can't go into all the details about it, but it has to do with uh, transitioning. Uh, and um, and for me, yeah, I did have a lot of, it, it, it's, it's hard. 
As a matter of fact, we, I was talking about this with, the, with Darren Woodson and other NFL players on their podcast, how hard it is to transition because here you go from this person that's, you know, on a, an elite team, being the SEAL teams, you get the best equipment, you get the best training, you go out, do, you, you've lived in this cycle for numerous uh, for a number of years, and then all of that goes away. And the transition was really hard for me. But what helped me was I did get therapy, but not formal therapy. Like in retrospect, I would say that my therapy was like working with these athletes, you know, like consulting with the athletic organizations and serving them and really, um, really serving them, really taking the principles that I had learned as a SEAL and teaching it to them and helping them to apply it. Because, you know, in teaching, you're, you're not only are you teaching uh, students, but you're, you're, you're reinforcing lessons within yourself, right? Because when you teach something, if you're not applying it yourself, you're a hypocrite, right? And so in, in training these athletes and serving these athletes, that's where I got my therapy because I was able to really hear lessons that I was teaching to these guys out of my mouth and then question myself. And it, it brought a lot of healing to me on purpose a little bit more, you know, and, uh, can you repeat that last part? It, it glitched again. I would say serving helped me find healing and purpose. Um, big time. And, uh, but yeah, it was still hard, still trying to find my way and trying to find out what am I going to do full time? Because I went from, as a SEAL, you make really good money. You make almost, when you when you add up the benefits and the amount of uh, different pays you get as a SEAL, and you make about 100000 a year, you know, which is, it's, when you don't pay taxes on like half of the money you make, that's good money, you know? And so it, it was rough, but... I had to learn through trial. Like for me, it was through trial and it was through, you know, struggling and, 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 you know, being willing to add, learning the importance of, you know, asking for help and shedding that tough guy demeanor and shedding that, Oh, I'm a Navy SEAL. I can figure this out. And going to people and saying, Hey, listen, I need help. I need guidance. Like, is there any work I could get? Like literally like that was the big thing for me and being open. Another thing that helped me was being open to doing things that, I never envisioned myself doing just, you know, being open and like acting is a great example. Like I never wanted to be an actor. I never had a desire to act. Like I didn't want to do that. You know what I mean? But when the phone call came, it was just like, I'm in grad school at the time getting my master's and I'm just like, what else am I doing? Let me go try it out and see where this goes. And that acting slash career morphed into a consulting career, which now morphed into what it is now. So I think a big part of, again, it was a lot of things that helped me in my transitioning because I did struggle. I have, you know, had, ish, you know, PTSD and stuff like that. But, you know, what has helped me has been a, a combination of things. Faith being a huge part of it. Uh, my faith in Christ, um, you know, asking for help, serving people. Uh, you know, and finding through, you know, finding my healing. It was a combination of things to help me get through it all. I appreciate you sharing that, brother. Is there is there anything that uh, that we haven't discussed that you thought would be of value to people who are struggling right now with mental toughness or mm-hmm. uh, being resilient? Um. I think we covered all. I think the big thing is, you know, don't be ashamed to ask for help, man. Like, you know, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, you know what I mean? Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. And my grandmother used to tell me all the time when I was a kid, she said, you can't help nobody that won't help themselves. That was a famous foremost, man. Like, you got to see the greatness within yourself. You got to see the potential within yourself. You can't, you know, it's, it's always somebody in the worst situation that you're in. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, I've talked, listen, I've talked to people who were, I've been suicidal in the past. Uh, uh, You know, when I say suicidal, just to be more clear, I've had thoughts of suicide in the past. Um, I've had people call me who were about to jump out of a window 
um, who was about to take pills to kill himself. I've done heard it all. Uh, and, you know, the main thing that I've learned through it all is one, you know, you have to be willing to see the greatness within yourself and see that, hey, there is something there. Because one of the lies is, it's over, I'll never be anything, I lost that, whatever, you know, it's not going to come back, there's nothing good in me, nobody wants me, nobody cares about, that's all a lie. That is all a lie from the pits of hell, you know, like there is something within you, there is greatness within you. And so help yourself by picking yourself up off the floor and say, you know what, I'm a fight. I'm not going to let death win. I'm going to let life win. Um, I have so much more life to live. Um, that's one. And two, go to somebody and open and pour out your heart. Um, that's, there's no weakness in that. There's no weakness in burying your soul and saying, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm crying. Like, I need help. I'm struggling. Um, so, yeah. I appreciate that, brother. And uh, and I don't know, because uh, it wasn't uh, mentioned in the book, I don't think, but just on your Instagram, it looked like you uh, are doing some things where you are giving back to the community and, and uh, being a mentor to yeah. other young people. Yeah. Is there an organization uh, that people can look up or donate to, or uh, is there uh, assistance you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, I work with a few different organizations. Um, um there's so many nonprofits. I do stuff in the inner city. I go to prisons. I'm in jails. I'm in, in you know, um, juvenile, you know, centers and all that other stuff. Uh, right now, the foundation I'm pointing people to to donate to is the C4 Foundation. Um, I work with a few of them, <laughs> but that's the one I'm focusing my efforts towards right now. C4 Foundation is a foundation and uh, to honor a Navy SEAL that I served with who was killed in, uh, on an operation. Uh, what I love about the foundation, um, you know, there's a lot of military foundations out there where their focus and their goal is to help military families um, and, and who have lost love. It does that, but they're, they're, they're all about uh, helping out in inner city areas as well. Um, Providing a place, there's a, this massive uh, property out in the out in the boondocks in the wilderness of, of California. Massive property with a and, and it, we're hope we're trying to work it out to get kids out there to get them out of the hoods and get them in these majestic places with these mountains and animals and cabins, just beautiful places that they never thought they would see to expose them to other sides of life. So that's the organization C4Foundation.org. Uh, you could do not donate to them. That would be awesome because we're doing stuff to not just for military, but we're doing stuff also for inner city kids and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and schools, inner city schools. Right on, brother. Now, uh, last few questions. One is you're a man of faith. Mm -hmm. Are you still bumping Biggie? Uh, the clean, the clean version of what I do is usually a few like, you know, juicy, uh, you know, those motivational ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about storytelling. I mean, that, that's yeah. one of the things that, that drew me to uh, Biggie was like, God, this dude, he paints a picture. Yeah. Uh, as you as well, man, your book, man, I from from the opening chapter, I, I hit my boy up today. Like, gee, you got to read this book, man, because yeah. uh, you, you paint you paint pictures with the words. So uh, yeah, well done, bro. And you deserve uh, on, on Amazon is five stars across the board. Yeah, uh, for a good reason. And what I also love is you're not just telling your story, but you're also dabbling into school segregation. Uh, yeah. I love how you drew a, a distinction between incentives versus interventions. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, there, there was another political issue uh, you drew attention to in the book. I think, I, 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 I think it was uh, crime um, and like how. The, oh, prohibition. Know. Oh, yeah, prohibition. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, oh, you're talking about white flight. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that that was interesting. White yeah. flight and then heroin coming in, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it's a it's a very layered story and, and, yeah. and uh, a history lesson. Yeah. It puts things into context. So yeah. uh, I appreciate you uh, you taking the time to do that. I'm excited about your projects you got working yeah. on. Thank you, my man. Um, appreciate you. Last question, mm -hmm. uh, and ask this of all my guests because always imagine there's one person listening in who's on the precipice of ending their life. 
before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Remy? Um, like I said earlier, man, it's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to life. There's so many opportunities. There's so many, there's so many generations that could come through you. Um, legacy, you know, one thing I, uh, the, uh, not the opening of my book, but the dedication in my book. You know, I dedicated my book to my kids, my nephews, my nieces, my future generations, generations that will I'll never even meet. Um, this film that I wrote um, that's, that, you know, big production companies about to, just committed to picking up. The big thing behind it is legacy. And, you know, one thing I try to tell people on the, on the verge of suicide is, man, it's not just about you. Don't kill your legacy. Because, you know, if you haven't had kids yet, just think about the million, not, let me not exaggerate, but the, the hundreds of people that will come through your lineage, you know, you know, now, you know, in the future, right? And you don't want to kill that. You don't want to kill that because when you kill you, you're not just killing you, you're killing generations, you know what I mean? But then also, you know, if you already had kids, you know, legacy. You want to be remembered as somebody that kept fighting, that kept moving forward. You want to be able to set that positive example moving forward for the next generation, for the next generation, for the next generation. Life for me right now, you know, I've lived my life. You know, everything I do is about my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids. I want, like, kids hundreds, thousands of years from now to be able to be like, oh, great grandpa, Remy Adelaide, yeah, that dude, he did this, he did that, he set us up for the future, like, to be proud to wear that name, you know? And so just think about, it's so easy, like a SEAL train. Let me go back to SEAL train. What do instructors do? They try to make you think about Friday. You know what I mean? They want to make you think about Friday and they want to make you, they want to deceive you into believing that Things are going to be so bad for the next six days, you might as well give up and quit now. So they want, they want you to think that things are going to be so bad when the reality is when Friday comes and you have made it through, that's like heaven. That's just like, oh my goodness. Like I made it through hell week. I'm still here. I'm like next steps towards being a seal. And so instead of thinking like, the world is over. My life is over. I lost my job. Blah. That's all a lie. Just think about, you know what? I got a legacy. My ultimate goal is for my great, for generations to be blessed. Bad situation I'm in right now is a new day. It's a new day. It's new life. And there's new hope. So, you know, yeah. Don't let the instructors, which those little liars in your head, don't let them deceive, get you Thinking too, you know, thinking too much about stuff that you shouldn't be thinking about that's going to really bring you down. I, I appreciate you sharing all that, brother. Uh, yeah. And I appreciate you listeners for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you reaching out, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the other numbers that I have listed in the show notes. There's international numbers. There's text numbers. There are groups. Uh, there is something for someone anywhere in the world. Help is always available to you. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks a lot, Remy. Thank you, bro.